Thanks for taking the time to listen to these recordings of our Sunday morning sermons. The Door Church is one church in two locations on mission to see lives restored with the gospel for God's glory, and we'd love to have you join us. For more information about our gatherings in Louisville and Argyle, visit us at thedoorchurch.net. Now, let's worship God by opening His Word. Good morning, church family. My name is Jonathan Birch. If you're new here, I'm the kids and community minister here at the Door Church. I'm glad you're here with us this morning, praising God. Uh, we're in our sermon series titled, Where Are You? And if you saw our bumper video, there's a series of questions uh, that are designed to reorient your heart, to reorient your life towards God, the, one with, uh, the only one with the true perspective. And it's important for us to go back to the beginning. Because oftentimes we like to create our own idea of what truth is, our own idea of what goodness is, our own idea of what meaning is, but God is the only creator. He's the only one who produces anything. And because he spoke ages ago, here I am speaking, here we are speaking to one another, and it's all because he spoke. So in today's text, we're going to go back and we're going to be looking at God creating the world. It's a pretty big topic. God is the creator. Genesis is about God. It's not about us but it applies directly to us. So let's, let's open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to be in verse 1 through 26. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven in the evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, and which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, and which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and it was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons, for days, for years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning was the fourth day. And God said, let the, waters with, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kind, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kind. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kind and the livestock according to their kind and everything that creeps on the ground according to his kind. And God saw 
that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you created the world, and we're, we're reading about it today, and I pray that you uh, would just open up our hearts to see you uh, as God, to see you as Savior. You do the work as you did at the beginning of time, and I, I pray that you would do that work in our hearts today. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of today's sermon is called, And God Saw That It Was Good. And God Saw That It Was Good. Now, most likely, if you were to come up to me and ask me and say, Jonathan, how are you? 90% of the time, I'd say, I'm good. I'm good. Even if I'm not doing good, even if I don't feel good, I'll say I'm good. And what I'm doing is, I, is I'm trying to speak goodness over myself. And it's, it's interesting because if you ask me that, I'll, I'll actually go up an octave. I'll go, oh, I'm good. Oh, I'm good. And you can always tell if somebody is good, not by what they say necessarily, but how they say it. So when I'm, when I'm saying I'm good, is I'm trying to, to speak this goodness over myself, the problem is, I don't, it doesn't make me feel good to say I'm good. And it certainly doesn't make me good to say that I'm good. I'm trying to, to, to speak this reality over myself. And what's, what's really crazy is as an unbeliever, so you know, God saved me in 2019. And if before I was, I was saved, if you were to ask me, say, Jonathan, how are you? <laughs> My answer would be, I'm good. Now, this is really interesting because here I am as an unbeliever, spiraling in anxiety, knowing that every, every pleasure is fleeting, it's almost taunting me knowing that it's going to end one day, and I know that judgment day is coming. I'm going to be internally separated from my God and, and cast into outer darkness. And as an unbeliever, if they were to ask me, how was I doing, my answer would be, I'm good. That, that's insane if we think about it. It's insanity. It's the definition of insanity. Goodness is not a throwaway word. It's not something that, that we, use, we should use frivolously. Goodness has meaning. It means pure delight. It means pure beauty. In all Scripture, when you see the word good, it means it means pure goodness, pure beauty, pure delight. So my question to you this morning is, how are you? It's a question I want you to ask yourself. How are you? There's a belief that we can name it and claim it and speak goodness over our life. That's a lie. We see in Scripture there's only one who, who names it and claims it. It's God. He, he, he names the world, and he claims its goodness all throughout the text this morning. Let's, let's start in the beginning. It says, in the beginning, God. Now we have to start there. Darren did a great job last week just orienting our hearts toward with a biblical worldview. Say, in the beginning, God, well, we ask, what about the Big Bang? The first question is, well, who banged it? Where did it come from? You think about spilled paint. If you spill a can of paint, it's just not going to turn into the Picasso. If you ask the atheist, you say, hey, atheist, look at that vehicle out there. Look at the engine and, and the carburetor and the, and, the, and the exhaust. Look at all those systems fit together. And the atheist would say, yes, yes, it definitely does because that manufacturer made it, and he made it like that, and he designed it like that. And yes, that, that car is, is, is good because it came from that manufacturer who designed it. And you ask an atheist, you say, well, well look at that human being. Look at, look at the heart. Look at the vascular system. Look at all how everything flows together. Look at that human being. And you ask the atheist, so where did he come from? And the atheist would say, big bang. It's insane when you think about it. Any, any, any idea of creation that doesn't take into account God as the creator is instantly an outright rejection of God, and we see who God is throughout the text. We see that there's also false gods. We know in Islam we have Muhammad, but in Islam, Allah needs man to worship and needs man to validate him, so he's not the true God. We see oftentimes, Darren talked about last week, the different gods in polytheistic religions, they're oftentimes you know, competing with one another. 
The true God is, is not like that. The true God has unity of purpose, singular purpose. Three persons, one God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We see it in the beginning, God created. God the Father creates. We see the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the wall. We see the Holy Spirit. Then God speaks. The, the word is Christ. He speaks and says, let there be light. And Jesus shows up. Jesus is the light of the world. We see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the beginning. Any, any conception of creation that doesn't take into account this triune God that says, let us make man in verse 26. Any other creation account that doesn't account the God of the Bible is idolatry. And we see that in, in Isaiah 46, verse 9 and 10. Isaiah says, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. You see, God is the true creator, the only creator. He creates, as we saw, he orders the world and he orders it with order. He creates with order and purpose. The chaos becomes the cosmos. We see it day one through three in verses three through 13. God speaks formation. We see the light from the darkness. We see in day two, we see the, the expanse, the heaven, the waters on over, above the heaven, from the waters beneath the heaven. We see that expanse, that atmosphere. In day three, we see the, the, the water separating from the ground, the land with the vegetation. And it says, with the seed in itself. So it's, I mean, it's, it's amazing. I was eating an apple the other day, and I was eating an apple, and I was just thinking that the seed of an apple tree is in this apple that I'm eating. And if I was to plant this seed, it would reproduce another apple tree, which then would create another apple. A human being could never conceive of anything like that. Only a God could create and form things like this with order. In day four through six, we have more order. God is speaking in habitation. He's filling the sky with the sun, with the moon, with the stars for signs and for seasons. He's filling the air with birds, the heights of the air, the eagles that fly. God's filling the heights of the air with with birds and the depths of the sea, with fish and creatures that we've never even seen before. He's created it with purpose. In day, day six, he creates, he, he fills, he inhabits the land with animals and finally with mankind. This is the order in which he creates. And then we see that God also creates with purpose. Why did God create the world? He create, created the world for his glory and for our good, for his glory. Whenever you have, you have a finite world, a world that was created, it points to the creator. It draws your eyes to the one who created. I want to know the one who created this kind of beauty. Because when you have the creator, you have everything you need. You have that, that confidence. You have that security. He created it for his glory, but he also created it for our good. God de desires to bless his creation with the goodness that exists within himself. God's character is good, and he wants to bless creation with that goodness. We see this benediction, this blessing that he closes these, these creation stanzas with. He says, and he saw that it was good, and he saw that it was good. And in verse 22, and, he, and God blessed them. And God closes these creation stanzas with, you're good. I mean, what a way to come into existence with the creator of the world over you saying you're good. See, God created a world intentionally where we can experience that goodness, where we can play, we can laugh. I mean, eating you know, food, for instance, I mean, we, have, we have taste buds that, have, that can signal a response based off of what you eat, and it, and it brings you pleasure. That didn't have to be that way. But we can, we're designed to, to experience God's goodness and his pleasure. Laugh, we can dance, we have fun, we can move. God is a beautiful God, a moving God. And he designed us to experience that beauty. I think about one of the most beautiful scenes I've seen. Uh, it was a couple years ago when my wife, we went to Ecuador. We were 
going up to Chamanga. We were going through a town called Nanagalito. And as we were going up, we went up. We didn't know what we were going to be facing, but it was kind of a, 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 a cavern. And we walked up the cliff, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it was a drop, and it was just a, a, a canyon almost. You could see five miles down. Uh, you could hear sheep. You could hear cow just making noise. And then you could see the backdrop, the horizon with mountains. Oh, and I, you know, I wanted to bring out my phone and take a picture of it, but it's like, I, I, I can't take a picture of this. Nothing can capture this beauty that I'm witnessing. The most beautiful thing I've ever seen. We've seen grand scales of beauty like this with the Grand Canyon, for instance, where you just want to just take it all in, but you just can't. But God is such a beautiful God. He doesn't just stop with the grand. And we look at the, the small things. We look at microscopic things, a snowflake or a, a butterfly's wing. And we think, well, God had to have just kind of taken a day off with that. But we see the detail and the striations of colors and patterns. These aren't pixelated things that, you know, this is just a, a coat. Just, I'm just going to make this. Nobody's going to look at this. Even though it takes a microscope to see it, it's beautiful. And we see cycles of beauty. I mean, it says evening and morning. We have the sunset and sunrise. Nobody wakes up and wonders whether or not they're going to see a beautiful sunrise. You look to the east, you know the sun's going to rise. You look to the west, you know the sun's going to set and it's going to give you a multitude of colors and it's going to be beautiful. It's a consistency of goodness and beauty. Experiencing God's creation is a common grace that we all get to experience. And we ought to, we ought to recognize we ought not to scoff at common grace because the same God who gives common grace to everyone gives saving grace to his chosen. We ought to take it serious. But the problem is none of us enjoys creation the right way. We don't experience it rightly. Paul says in Romans 1, 18 through 23, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have clearly been perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and creeping things. See, in turn, we, we have this beautiful creation, and we end up worshiping this creation over the creator. We turn them into gods for our own selfish pleasure. I can name a, a bunch of things. I talked about food and alcohol. We have communion today. It's not real wine, but, but real wine is the fruit of the vine, and we have that as a gift, but we abuse it with alcoholism. We've experienced this. Vacations, you, beautiful places we visit, and God created all these places, but we don't live life from vacation to vacation. Our relationships with our kids, our spouses. God is the God of relationship. He has relationship in himself, but we're not built to worship horizontally. We're, we're built for God to worship him. But we, we put it in the wrong place. Talked about animals and fish, and, and, and we have, we have, many of us have pets, but we even elevate our pets to be almost in the image of God, and they're not in the image of God. Our pets are, are a creation for us to enjoy, but we elevate it like everything else. We, we, we want to seek we want creation to give us some thrill. And what happens is when we, when we put the creation over the creator, it rots us from the inside out. Not only does it destroy us, it destroys those around us. Because any, any, anytime anybody comes between you and the God that you've created, you're going to treat that person like trash. And, and I've experienced this in my life. I, I've seen it. So, so my wife, Sophie, she has this thing on her phone where it tells you where you've been at over the last, I don't know, how, how, however long you've had the phone. And it says, hey, six years ago, this is where you're at. So on her phone, it popped up, hey, six years ago, this is what happened. And she, and, and she showed me a video of myself. Six years ago, uh, I was 
taking the furniture out of our house, destroying the furniture that she paid for, that she picked out. I'm taking it out of of the house and putting it on the street. And why am I doing this? It's because she took my prescription pill bottle. You see, prescription pills and medicine is a common grace that God gives us. But what what did I do? I I elevated that medicine and, and, and made it above God, and I sought the high that that prescription could give me. And when she took it away, I treated her like trash, taking the furniture out of the house, and I'm just acting like a fool. And this is what we do when we put creation over the creator. If you say, well, that's not me. I have control over, over my, my appetite. I don't do things like that. Well, maybe, you, maybe you're so self-consumed with your own productivity, with your own performance, your own image, that you don't even enjoy God's creation at all. You're just doing all the things. You think you're the God. And you never stop to be thankful for what God has given you. He's the producer, but you think you're the producer. Does, that, does this sound like you? With all the beauty that's surrounding us, from big to small, do, do you stop to smell the roses? Do you, do you see God's beauty anywhere? You know, whenever I find myself not enjoying God's creation, most, more often than not, it's because I'm acting like I'm God. Like, I got to keep up this thing because I'm the producer. I'm the performer. If I don't do this, this, and this, if I don't hit my deadlines and my schedule, then things aren't going to be right. I'm not enjoying God's creation. And I'm, it's because I'm thinking that I'm God. God design, designed us to enjoy his creation. And it says in verse 26, to have dominion over his creation. Verse 26 is talking about dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heaven, over the livestock. These animals aren't created in our image, but they are created by God for us to have dominion over, rightly have dominion and authority over them, not to abuse them. The earth is not for us to abuse, and you know, pets and animals are not for us to abuse, but to, but to take care of. It's God's creation. Because we receive, we don't have the ultimate authority. We receive this authority from God. So whenever you receive an authority from anyone, you recognize that you're not the author, you're the owner, and any received authority comes with a high level of accountability. Like, we are accountable to God. We often forget this. We're accountable. And how do we hold ourselves accountable? Well, let's first look at the law. See what the law tells us. God gave us his law to command us, to command us how to experience him rightly, to commanding us how to experience each other rightly. I love this story in in Exodus. Moses waits six days in the glory cloud, uh, and it's it's really kind of a a reminder of the fact that God does the creation. So as Moses is waiting six days, he has to wait on God. God's the creator. But on the seventh day, he comes up, he he, he receives the Ten Commandments from God. And what what happened in Exodus uh, 19.5, verse 5, 6, and 8, we read, God says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, You shall be my treasure possession among all the people, God says, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. And the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses reported the words of the Lord to the people. So we know how this story ends with the children of Israel. We know how they held up. Um, The question for us is how do we how do we hold up? Do we hold ourselves accountable? How do we measure up with the commands? You know, oftentimes we'll say we worship the creator of the world, but then we try to ignore his commands. We'll treat the creator's commands like they're suggestions, like it's just a suggestion box. He commands us, let's see what that is. How do we measure up? First command says, have no other gods before him. Well, we talked about how we elevate creation over creator. And by the way, see, when the true God is your God, no one can come between. Nobody can separate you and your God. So if somebody tries, you don't treat them like trash. You pray for them. You love them. But we, we, we fail at this. The fourth commandment, God hearkens back to the six-day creation week. 
where he says he commands us to work, but he says to keep the seventh day holy and rest. How do we do there? Do we rest? Do we, how, do we, how, do we, how do we fare when we put down our kingdom and say, God, my work is nothing compared to you. You are the creator. You, you, do, you do the work. Do we rest? Or are we all just, just busy doing the things? We fail, if we're honest with ourselves, if we're holding ourselves accountable. Then we go to the 10th commandment. Don't covet. Covetousness. And we see, man, in social media and the internet, we're always looking left to right, horizontally, looking at the next person. How do we do with covetousness? If we're honest, we know we fail. And if you're looking at these commandments and say, well, I'm doing good, you know, I rest and I do this and I do that, what you're doing is you're comparing your commandment keeping to other people, which is a comparison game. And comparison is just an on-ramp to covetousness. So you're, you're, you're a covetous person. So if you think you're crushing the commandments, you're missing it. Because of the fall, rather than showing us a standard that we can meet, what the law does is it shows us our inability to keep it. Romans 7, verses 10 and 11, Paul says, The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, it killed me. See, the rest of creation obeys God better than we do. It says it in the text, and God said, and it was so. And God said, and it was so. Even after the fall, Jesus is on the boat. The wind and the waves are going amok. Jesus says, peace be still. What happened? They obeyed. But what about the human heart? God commands the human heart, and what do we do? We don't obey. See, when God creates, we can see, we can see the seeds of what God is really doing. See, when he creates, he commands the human heart. He, he, when he speaks creation into existence, he speaks it with a word. But with us, we see it in the creation story. He does something different. With us, as we'll get into later on, he, he, he kneels down. He breathed into us. You see, mankind, we've always needed more than a command. We've needed, the, we've needed God to condescend to us. We've needed the word to come to us, to save us. You see, sin has separated us from God, has created our dark hearts, created this separation, this chasm. We'll get into the fall later in this series, but I want you, want you to see something, that the seeds are here, that, the, that God was committed to saving us even before the fall. Like the seed of the fruit that's within the fruit, the seed of salvation was already in creation. Go back and let's look. In, in, in day one, there was a couple things that, that God didn't give that closing benediction to, that, that it was good. We see it missing. He didn't give it to the darkness in day one. It didn't get that it was good benediction. And the separation, that expanse between what's above and what's, what's, what's below in day two, we don't quite see that line that says it was good. Now, why? Surely all, all that God does is with purpose. All that God does is good, but there was something about the darkness that wasn't the final state. See, there was something about that expanse between heaven and earth, between God and us. There was something about it that wasn't the final word. See, with a gospel lens, we can see that these stanzas of creation were left open-ended because it foreshadows that our dark hearts and our separation from him was not going to be the final word. During creation, God is so committed to us. During creation, he's so, so committed to us that he already had redemption in mind. Many of us will say, yes, God, you're the creator. We'll give him the glory if we say, yes, you're the creator. Uh, but we try to, with the other hand, we try to take credit for our salvation. Many of us will lift God up on the creation throne and say, yes, you alone, God, you sit on the creation throne. Only you can do this. But with our other hand, we'll try to tear him down off the mercy seat. It ought not be like that. We see creation and salvation is bound together 
And God proved it when the word became flesh to chase after us. In John chapter 1, verses 1 and 14, we read, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Verse 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. See, Jesus, fully God and fully man, he came to earth and he lived a perfect life. We see in the Gospels that he comes out of the waters of baptism. And what do, what do we hear? We hear his father call out and say, this is my son and who I'm well pleased. But this blessed one who, who pleases God was taken to the cross, crucified for our rebellion. And at Jesus' crucifixion, what do, what do we see? If we look close, what do we see? As he's paying for our dark hearts, look at the Gospel account, we see a, a continuation of Genesis chapter 1. That darkness, they didn't quite get that benediction line. We see that darkness coming back as Jesus is on the cross, covers the land for three hours. That separation between heaven and earth that didn't quite get that final word in Genesis chapter 1, we see it come back. The veil is torn, it's separated, and that separation is put on Jesus as he cries out to his Father, God, Father, why have you forsaken me? That separation is put on him. What do we see? You see, Jesus is picking up the pen from our creation story. And he's finishing the story with his blood. Jesus, the light of the world, takes on our darkness. Jesus, the word, gets the silent treatment and takes on our separation. Do you see that Jesus truly was, even in Genesis, he truly was the the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, slain for you? Do you see how committed God is to you, that he came to save you? He didn't come to give you your best life now, to give you the most pleasure out of his creation and then leave you be, to just give you a boost. He came to save you. He paid the death penalty for our sin to make us a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. See, when you, when, you, when you put your trust in Christ, you're made a new creation in Christ by the Holy Spirit that raised him from the dead. No longer are you defined by your sin and by your disobedience. No longer are you defined by that, but you're defined by Christ's obedience. And this was a salvation that was planned long ago. This is how we have confidence. This is our believer's confidence It says it in Ephesians 1, verse 3 through 6, the confidence, the blessing that we have over ourselves. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption to Christ as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. If you haven't submitted to Christ, if you haven't submitted to Christ as your Savior, there is no eternal blessing over you. You see, the law may help you 
preserve your life for a season as you do your thing on this earth, but the law can never provide resurrection life. God's creation, it, it can give you pleasure on this earth, but God's creation can never satisfy your soul. But only when you trust in Christ alone, his, his, his perfect life, his righteousness is imputed to you, his death, he died for our sins, in our place. Only when you trust in Christ, his resurrection, giving us his life through the power of the Holy Spirit, when we trust in Christ's intercession at the right hand of the Father, covering us, always, only when you trust in Christ, the creator of the world looks on you, just like at the beginning of the creation when he said he saw that it was good. In Christ, the Father looks at you and what he sees is good, pure delight. The Father doesn't look at you and have to hold his nose and say, oh, didn't have to have his voice inflect and say, oh, I think they're good. No, he says you're good. You're beloved. He doesn't see an addict. He doesn't see a bad mom or a bad dad. He sees a son and a daughter. He loves you. We serve the God of, of and. He's always creating. He's always doing more. And not only are you justified now, seen as beautiful now in Christ, and he's sanctifying you. I don't know what your sin struggle is, what things you're struggling with that you've taken to God and it just seems like it won't go away. But he's making you new. It says it in Scripture, he who began a good work will complete it. He, 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 he does his promises. We're righteous now by Christ's righteousness. We're justified now. We're, we're being sanctified if you're in Christ. And he's the God of man. And he's doing more. And he's coming back to redeem this, this, this world, this physical world. It, yes, it, there was a fall and, and things look bad now. But he created it good. We read in Genesis, he says, he saw that it was good. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back to redeem his creation. And we look in Genesis. So let's look in Revelation. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 and 3. And we're going to look at 22, verse 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. God is not okay with this world being in the final state of brokenness. He's coming back to redeem it. Darkness didn't get the final word in Genesis chapter 1 because Jesus came, he took on our darkness, and he defeated it. And when he comes back, we'll never see the darkness again because he's going to be our light. That expanse between us and God, that separation didn't get the final word in Genesis chapter 1 because Jesus took that separation on himself and died. But God brought him out of the grave, and when Jesus comes back, he's bringing heaven with him. Heaven and earth will never be separated again. Trust in Jesus as your creator. Trust in Jesus as your savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as this question hovers over us, where are we? We ask ourselves, where are we? You know where we are. Our hearts deceive us. There's those of us in this room, I pray, Lord, that you would just Give us that humble confidence to know that neither death nor life nor angels 
nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in creation will separate us from your love. Give us as believers that confidence. There are those in this room who are near you but not in you. As, we, as they ask, where, where are they? they? They know the creation story. They know you as creator, but they haven't accepted you as savior. You know who they are, Lord. Humble them. Show them that you're not only the creating God, but you're a saving God and a recreating God. And there are those in this room who are far from you. They would rather give the glory to a big bang than to a big God. You know them. Recreate them, Lord. You do the work. I thank you for Jesus, our creator, our recreator, our redeemer. And we just look forward to the day we see his face. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.